to the Avenging Hour. I'm Jason. I'm John. Hello, John. <laughs> That's really creepy. Try out voices. Please don't. Or not that one. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Hour. <laughs> Please, that one. <laughs> you want to stick with that one the yeah, whole time? Yeah, I think you should. Okay, great. <laughs> So, so here we are again. <laughs> oh, that's right. I have, so I have a question for you before we get started on this issue episode. What of is your favorite color? No. So last issue. What last, was last issue about? Last, <laughs> explain the end of the last issue. Last episode, I asked you what what Avengers form of transportation you want. I am now going. Did to you get, say something about an Avengers Transformers crossover? <laughs> so that would be great if the Avengers were Transformers. <laughs> no. Um. If now I'm going to give you one of the Avengers. One of Scatman Crothers. One of the accessories of the Avengers. So you can have Thor's hammer, Iron Man's armor, Captain America's shield, wasps or yellow jackets, little shooty things that they had in the early issues before they started doing it out of their hands. Black yellow. Widow's wrist shooty things. Yellow jacket's sense of shame. Um, no, that's just something they can hand to you. Uh, there's also, uh, well, any of Dr. Pym's gadgets or um, Hawkeye's bone arrows. Motorized trash cans. You know, any anything like that. What what, what Avengers accessory? I mean, I'm sure there's, oh, Black Knight, Black Knight's sword. Well, that one will make you crazy. Thor's, Thor's mead. What do you think? You, there may be others I haven't mentioned. I'm sure that there are. Yeah, there's so much stuff there. I know there's a lot. That's what makes it a, a thought-provoking question. How about Black Panther's kingdom? <laughs> well, it is technically something he could give to you. So uh, uh, no, I might go with. Uh, I was going to say Falcon's wings. Oh yeah, they that seem kind of cool. But I mean, why would you pick that over Iron Man's armor? Except that, well, you can feel the wind on your face. I guess <laughs> <laughs> it's a much, it's a much freer feeling. I might go with that. It seems to be kind of fun. The wings? Yeah. Well, what? You don't need Does it. the Falcon come with them, like Red Wing? Do I have that, like, metal connection with them? Well, you don't get the connection, I but guess if you can hand it to me. <laughs> if you want the bird, you can have the bird. <laughs> it would be in my house and he'd be watching me, and Falcon wouldn't know what was going on. <laughs> it's so <laughs> creepy. Falcon's like, he's watching Real Housewives again? This is so disappointing. I've taken my wings back. Jesus, man, get off the couch. Yeah, I can't think of any other character that has something that they can hand you that we've at least dealt with so far. Doctor Strange's Cloak of Levitation. It's technically or the Eye of Agamotto, or the Orb of Agamotto, Daredevil's Billy Club. Anybody could hand me the Darkhold. It's just sitting there on the shelf <laughs> with a big hole through it. I think I would go with Thor's hammer, presuming that I could actually use it. If well, I get see, his hammer... That. He could just hand it to you, and then you're just stuck there. Yeah, if I get the hammer and it's stuck in my basement because I can't lift the darn thing, then I don't want it. <laughs> you can't. You can invite people over to see it and charge them. No, if I want a hammer, I can use. I want to be able to control the weather and mm. throw the hammer at people and whirl it really fast to clean off snow. <laughs> That's all I would really want it for. Yeah. All right, then. Okie dokie. Previously on the Avenging Hour, Dr. Druid zapped the team away to the 12th century to help the Black Knight and Amagrin the Druid defend the mystic Isle of Avalon against the dark magic of Elephant and his fiendish Fomor horde. And if you understood all of that, you probably had ongoing problems with bullying in junior high. And now episode 101. So before we start with the actual issues this this episode, we need to talk about Amazing Spider-Man Annual number 16 by Roger Stern and John Romita Jr. So Amazing Spider-Man Annual number 16 is, we always complain about how the Avengers annuals aren't about the Avengers. This is the Spider-Man Annual that's really more about Captain Marvel. Who is Captain Marvel, you say? That's dead guy. We mentioned that Captain Marvel died of cancer. So there is no Captain Marvel. Hell, there wasn't. We meet this issue a young woman by the name of Monica Rambeau. She is a lieutenant in the New Orleans Harbor Patrol, and she finds her career is not progressing as quickly as she would like because she is a woman. She is visited 
by an old friend of her father's, a Professor Andre Leclerc, who tells her of a big McWidget that's been created. It's, you know, it's a big... Did you say a McWidget? A McWidget. It's like a McGuffin. Um, it's been created, and it can destroy the world. And right now it's being held by his ex-assistant, Felipe Picaro. None of these names sound suspicious. Uh, so where's Dr. Dorcas? She agrees. Monica agrees that she will go to the oil drilling platform on which Felipe Picaro has kept this machine and she will take a look around and she does this. It doesn't go well. Surprise, surprise. And she ends up during the fight. She tries to shut this. The, the Felipe Picaro turns the machine on. It starts to go crazy and absorb all kinds of power and it looks like it's going to destroy the world. And in an attempt to stomp it, she decides the best way to do that would be to punch it. The machine kind of feeds all this energy into her and gives her superpowers, and she becomes Captain Marvel. The problem now is that she has all these energy powers, and she's not able to control them very well. Did she give herself that name? Yes. No, well, no. When she was on the oil drilling platform with her powers, one of the goons said, uh, because Andre Leclerc, her father's friend, kept calling her Captain, even though she's not a captain, she's a lieutenant, but apparently he wanted to rub that in. So he kept calling her Captain, Maybe and it's because she was uh, driving the boat. I guess. One of the flunkies sees her and says, the captain is a marvel. The captain is a marvel. Really? Uh-huh. And so they go by Captain Marvel. Wow, they really forced that in there, didn't a they? A little bit. So anyway, she's... I in- also want to know, was there a boat chase at all during this annual? No, sadly. Or was there a Phil Collins song playing in the background? <laughs> no, sadly. It's a little too early in the 80s. Maybe. Maybe <laughs> not. Uh, anyway, she, she goes to New York City. She wants to go see Reed Richards at the Baxter Building because she's concerned she's going to explode. She gets to the Baxter Building and all the FF but the Thing are out of town. They're always out of town. And so she goes over to a, the Thing's like, well, the Avengers might be able to help you. And she heads over to Avengers Mansion. Now, Spider-Man had seen her when she came into town and got a Spider-Sense tingle off of her because of her building energy. And he's been following her. He follows her to Avengers Mansion where we meet the current team of Avengers and they help, after Spider-Man screws things up, they help Captain Marvel leech off her excess energy, and this will never be a problem again. Nope. Never. Did Spider-Man tell Thor that he, that he didn't want to join the team? Not, no, that was that was a while ago. So in any case... <laughs> but that's point, coming up soon, isn't it? The point being, by at the end of the Amazing Spider-Man annual, Captain Marvel is, a fil- is known to the Avengers. They've helped her uh, with her energy, and she is setting herself up to be a hero. And away we go. Yes, that leads us to Avengers number 227, which is from January of 1983. It is by Roger Stern and Sal Buscema, and it is called... Wait, who? Roger Stern? We should talk about Roger Stern. Roger Stern was born on September 17th, 1950. He started working as, again, so many fans of this era did. He started working on a fanzine and then broke into Marvel as a writer in 1975. In the late 70s, he was working at Marvel as an editor and then basically went into a full-time writing job. He has written a ton of books. He has worked on various Superman titles, the Legion of Superhero titles, the Atom, Starman, The Amazing Spider-Man, Captain America, Doctor Strange, The Incredible Hulk, Iron Man, Marvel the Lost Generation, and of course, The Avengers. He is one of my favorite comic book writers ever. Uh, I I still believe his run on Avengers is the best the title's ever seen, and don't get me wrong, there are there are runs to come after his that I think are very good, but I really like his. And it's not just, he he unfortunately did a very truncated run on Captain America with John Byrne, which is very strong. His amazing Spider-Man stuff is always good. And I loved his Doctor Strange, a character that doesn't seem to be as easy to write as you might think. And uh, he did a good job with it. I would venture to say that Roger Stern may be the reason that you and I have done this podcast. Probably. And the, and the blog that we used to run before this podcast. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. He really, I mean, I, The Avengers is not the comic of, spoiler alert, The Avengers is not the comic that got me into comics. Oh, really? No. I didn't start picking up The Avengers until I had been reading other comics for a little while. But it was his run on The Avengers that made me a lifelong Avengers fan. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, I, yeah, I guess I would probably agree with that. Because it was his issues I first read, and then I went back and started yeah. reading the older stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Sure, sure, sure. It's called Testing 123. So the new Captain Marvel is hanging out at Avengers Mansion with the rest of the team. After the excitement of the Amazing Spider-Man annual, the Wasp thought it was a good idea to bring the team together to meet the new hero, and also to check out her powers and nail down what she can do. Iron Man setting up a thingamajiggy to measure just that. Soon the test is ready, and Captain Marvel is off. And when I say off, I mean she's zipping around the entire planet, zooming up to orbit and bouncing from satellite to satellite. She orbits the Earth and returns in two seconds, shifting from light to microwaves to radio waves to x-rays in the blink of an eye. The team is suitably impressed and the Wasp asks her to join as an Avenger in training. I don't remember that from the charter. It was not in the charter. This is a new idea the Wasp has. Captain Marvel agrees, and with that, the Wasp ends the meeting and zips away to another appointment. But there's still stuff to do at the mansion. She-Hulk reminds everyone how strong she is. Hawkeye reminds everyone how big a misogynist he is. Iron Man reminds everyone how big a ladies' man he is. Code for douche. And Jarvis reminds us all that there used to be another hero named Captain Marvel. What of the Wasp? It turns out her appointment was to have lunch with the Marvel Universe's favorite super couple, Reed and Sue Richards of the Fantastic Four. It turns out that Mr. Fantastic and the Invisible Girl are worried about Jan after her divorce, but she waves off their concerns and heads to the restroom. Now that they're free to talk about her behind her back, Sue wonders if she's really okay. Reed, puffing on his pipe to remind us that he's a scientist, since he can't build a framistat at the restaurant, says they can't help if Jan won't let them. And is she alright? Well, she's certainly telling herself she is in the restroom as she fixes her wig. Speaking of the reason why she might not be alright, let's stop by Rikers Island Penitentiary, where a Dr. Edmonds has come to chat with Henry Pym. Dr. Edmonds is a psychiatrist who is being cagey about who he's working for, but Pym doesn't care. You want a flashback about my history? Pull up a chair. I'm not going to bore you with all of it, but Pim does remind us that he was married before Jan and that his first wife was killed on a visit to her native Hungary by those dirty, dirty commies. Remember that, as it will be important in about six years or so. Otherwise, we won't bother with his flashback except to say that it puts a spin on his history that was never there in the original stories, one where he was always insecure unhappy, and somewhat mentally unstable. Anyway, after Edmonds and us suffer through this long new take on history, the psychiatrist goes back to report to his boss, Tony Stark. Edmonds tells Stark that Pym is sane if suffering from a massive inferiority complex and subject to nervous breakdowns. By the way, could this egghead guy really have framed him? No way, says Stark. He's deader than my inappropriate relationship with Pym's ex-wife. But what neither of them know is that Egghead is very much alive and listening in on their conversation through a spying device. And Egghead is still plotting against Pym, determined to ruin his day in court. To be continued. Mm, Sounds important. Our roll call this issue is Wasp, Iron Man, She-Hulk, Captain America, Thor, Hawkeye, and Captain Marvel. Our supporting characters include Jarvis, the original Captain Marvel, in a flashback. Mr. Fantastic, The Invisible Woman, Henry Pym, and in also in a flashback, Henry Peter Gyrick, and our villain, I mean, he is a villain and he's in the issue, and that's Egghead. This cover is stupid. It's not my favorite. See the new Captain Marvel test her power. See Henry Pym ponder his past. See She-Hulk strut her stuff. See the Wasp 
take a lunch. Yeah, this is the kind of cover when you put on a book when nothing really happens in the book. Way to belittle the leader of the group. (laughs) I mean, nothing really does happen in this issue. And usually you would focus on the main plot, but the main plot is a flashback. Why uh, Why is Thor, in the very beginning, why is Thor helping to hook up some sophisticated science equipment. Uh, yeah, you should get Dr. Don Blake, world's greatest hooker-upper, world's greatest, uh, world's greatest technician. Hooker. I would like to point out that Wasp looks like Mary Tyler Moore doing a Jane Fonda workout. I will also say, I, I want to be clear about this, because we pick on Sal Buscema a lot. I thought the art in this issue was actually really good. Yeah. It's really solid. I find it hard to believe that Captain Marvel has mastered her powers within, what, two weeks of becoming Captain Marvel? Yeah, if that. If that. <laughs> I do, however, really like the adventure in training idea. I mean, it makes perfect sense. You shouldn't... I mean, technically, as we found from the Charter, Avengers go through a probationary period. You know what they should do? They should come up with some sort of academy, maybe? No, that's... For the that's, Avengers. <laughs> but I think what makes... I think... I mean, it, it is a good way to bring in newer heroes, I think. Also, it's a nice way for Wasp, because the Avengers keep acting like they can only have six members, which I would, um, would again, remind everyone is a self-imposed limit. You know what they could do at this academy? They could have, like, <laughs> former members... Like, uh, I don't know, Henry Pym or no, he's, Tigra. Henry Pym's in jail. Maybe even bring in a villain like Taskmaster to like, teach Tigra's people. Tigra's a coward. Taskmaster. I mean, he knows a lot of stuff. How right? would they ever? They can't even capture Taskmaster. <laughs> um, what, I, what I like about it, too, though, is they, they have the six-member limit, which, again, is self-imposed. By bringing her in as an Avenger in training, she completely circumvents the six-member limit, which I think is politics, yeah. man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we talked about this last week, I think, texting each other before we sat down. I talked about the... Uh, the corner box on the cover and the heads that are in it and how uh, Captain Marvel doesn't show up in the corner box for like six months. Well, she's not, a, she's not, she's only an Avenger. She's a, she's be ahead in training. But then when our next uh, hero shows up, who's a male, he gets put in the corner box, that issue. And yellow, was it, uh, what did I say? Yellow Jacket was on the cover for like six months after he was like not even on the team anymore because they didn't want to have the corner box be outnumbered male to female. Well, and it's interesting. We'll be talking about this in a, in a couple of episodes where the team actually has more women on it than men yeah. for the first time in forever. Wait, are you counting Star Fox as a woman? Uh, Sal Buscema must not have seen Jarvis lately because he seems like he's lost a lot of weight. Yeah, he is very, and this will be an issue with Jarvis. We've talked about this before where... I, I, there seems to be no photo reference. Well, photo reference. There probably isn't a photo reference. There seems to be no master drawing for this character. You would think whoever drew him first could just, you know, print it out and hang it up on the wall. And go, There's Jarvis. He lo- he gains and loses hair constantly because he's practically bald in this issue. But he's really skinny. And he's lost a lot of weight. He's very stressed out. Uh, Iron Man still on the rebound from his last lady. He says something about Hank Pym still not getting over Wasp, I think. And, and he says, well, I still haven't gotten over my last lady. I'm like, do you, even, was re- wasp. Do you even remember her name? Jan. No, I, she yeah. was right there. Well, I don't, and I don't know if that's who he's referencing. It seems like a weird conversation. Oh, I no. He says, okay, when he's talking about dating the Wasp, he says, I was still on the rebound from my last lady. Who? That woman that he left in bed, that one issue that he like flew out? <laughs> Look, he sent a cleaning crew over to her house. <laughs> I don't know what more you want. He doesn't know who that woman is. That, he's like comparing that random strange that he picked up at a bar to uh, to the relationship that Hank Pym had with Wasp. It, the, the one he picked up at the bar was a much healthier relationship than the <laughs> Hank Pym-Wasp relationship. She-Hulk mentions that she hates being trapped in New York City because she can't find anything to do there. People say that all the time about New York, right? Constantly. That's one of the biggest complaints about that city. What do you do in this city? Pfft, New York, I'd rather... She wants to go back to L.A. Pretty much the same amount of stuff to do there is just spread out more. Yeah, it's just harder to get to. <laughs> right. Uh, you pointed out that Reed is smoking a pipe, so we know that he's a scientist. And I mentioned it last episode that we learned here that Pym 
minored in cybernetics. That's an odd little detail to throw into his history. I also don't know that we, we'd ever realized, I had never realized, that according to Hank Pym, he was around 40 years old when he met Jan. She was around 20. I didn't realize it was a 20-year age difference between these two. Wouldn't that make him like 112 now? <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I know the Marvel Universe moves slower, but if that's the case, then she's still in her 20s too, right? Yeah, I was I, Yeah, I was really surprised by that, that there was such a big difference. I mean, you know, they talk about it with Reed and Sue all the time, that there's a they have a large age difference, but I never saw it with Hank and Jan. I feel like she wasn't even 20. I don't know. I was she, trying to think, was that, uh, what issue do we meet the living laser in for the first time? It was really early on. With he, that bank robbery and that, and, we, and that's when she first got her. When she turned 21. Yeah. He says she was barely 20, mm. is how he describes so it. So she was like 16. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, barely 20, right? I picked I, her up at her parents. I have no other comments. No, my other comment was flashbacks, blah, blah, blah. That's about it. Bullpen bulletins. I didn't find anything interesting. Uh, they do mention, we, we we said in the last episode that there was a picture of a wedding that was horribly printed, and they blame that on the bullpen bulletins being late that issue. And they talk about softball games again. Ugh. Anything on the letters page? Uh, quite a few people seem to be surprised that they like She-Hulk on the team. Yeah. You right. had mentioned it a couple of episodes, a couple of weeks back. People, apparently her solo title was just the worst thing ever. Yeah, what exactly was wrong with that original series that had everyone hating her so much? I don't know. I thought she fits in. She which fits is in a, here quickly and really well. I, which is a shame because She-Hulk has had some of the most enjoyable solo series since this time. That's all Peter David stuff, isn't it? No, no. John Byrne. Oh, oh yeah. John the Byrne, John Byrne stuff is brilliant. Anyone out there that thinks John Byrne is an angry curmudgeon needs to read his she-hulk work because it's really funny well he's an angry curmudgeon now that's true <laughs> and um and then the dan slant series oh that's the one with the uh, awesome andy right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's a special announcement box that mentions uh the first issue of the official handbook of the marvel universe that was like my bible in the 80s yeah. i went through that so many times i like, still I, have the originals i could and i would get so excited because so the official for those that are too young or have never seen the original official handbook of the marvel universe you would have a you know a, a full frontal so to speak <laughs> picture of your hero but then they would throw in pictures of them in action from comics and i would get so excited when i would buy a back issue and it would have one of the pictures i'd be like i know that picture that's what they used in the official handbook so this official handbook came out in 83 and then they released an updated version in like what 87 89 was it 89 Mm -hmm. and i have both sets of them i thought the the updated ones were a little bit better they're a little more detail and they did the they would tell you like how much how much they could lift Mm -hmm. and detailed all their powers and where they were from and gave a history of them it was like a wikipedia entry for each one of these characters yeah it really was and then but then the cool thing they did was they also had like Hawkeye's arrows and his bow. They would do a diagram of it and explain what all the parts of it were and how they all worked. And, and it wasn't just people. Like they did, they did entries on certain races, like the Atlanteans. Yeah, they did entries on certain places, like Avengers Mansion had its own. And they would do a cross section of the mansion. They did the Quinjet and gave you information about that. They would do. Uh, I don't think they did a Masters of Evil. I know they did the Magia, they, and they would show all the different yeah. people that were in it. And Shield, they showed all the different Shield agents that were prominent. Throughout. Yeah, they did. A lot of organizations but you're right i don't think they did the masters i don't remember but most of the good guys and of course for me it was interesting because they had the book of the dead where 
they put all the dead characters. Sadly, Marvel couldn't do that anymore because they bring, keep bringing all those people back. <laughs> I mean, if we went through the Book of the Dead now, I wonder how many of those characters are still dead. I would be willing to bet it's less than 10%. And I wish I was exaggerating. But I would be willing to bet less than... Even the even the, the stupid Scourge villains keep coming back. So that was the cool thing, too. If, with the uh, like When they would show the Avengers, they had little blocks that showed each... Like a headshot of each Avengers. Mm-hmm. And they underneath it, it showed you which issue they joined in. Mm-hmm. It's like just an awesome reference tool. It was a great reference They've tool. redone it in more modern versions and hardbacks yeah. and that. They're just not as interesting to me anymore. But I learned all about the Marvel Universe and stuff. Well, now, Stories and characters that I never knew and never read about. And, exactly. Now when I when I read the, the newer handbooks, it's like reading an encyclopedia. Yeah. And I'm not saying that the original wasn't like reading an encyclopedia, but I was just, as a kid, just coming into the Marvel Universe, I was hungry to find out more about these characters and such. And that's how I know about certain characters like Ella Gila, which I don't think I've ever actually seen right. in a comic. American Eagle or uh, The Headman with yeah. Ru- Ruby Tuesday. Sadly, and- <laughs> I've read a lot of Headman comics. <laughs> Where I learned about Half Life and yeah, yeah. There's a lot of com, a lot of characters that mostly joke. just Hulk people that I didn't know because I didn't read Hulk. <laughs> Anywho, and Roger Stern, by the way, says hi to us on the letters page and tells us that Al Milgram is going to be coming on board to pencil the book. That's not bad. No, we talked about him a couple of episodes ago. Sure. MVP. I gave it to She-Hulk for all the heavy lifting. There really, no one gets to do anything this issue, but I gave it to Wasp for coming up with the Avenger and training idea. Useless character? Iron Man, get over yourself. Um, I went to, gave it to Hawkeye for being grumpy. Best quote taken out of context? Oh, suck it in, Jarvis. I went with, I'm ready for anything. Avengers level threat. No. Flashbacks continue to be a threat to all of us. <laughs> Final grade. I gave it a C. Too much flashbacking. I gave it a C plus, and it breaks my heart to give the first Roger Stern issue a C plus. But at the end of the day, this is just a flashback issue. I don't blame it on him. I don't blame it on him either, because Roger Stern was left with the idea that Jim Shooter had taken a perfectly serviceable character in Henry Pym and turned him into a monster. Roger Stern had to explain how that happened. He's just setting the table here. So yeah, he you know he took he took all of his history and kind of spun it in a way where you read it and you go, oh, it makes perfect sense why Hank Pym became a crazy man. That being said, I don't like flashbacks. I think I found, I just now put it together that Roger Stern wrote the Amazing Spider-Man annual that Captain Marvel first appeared in. Yes. So then when he took over the Avengers title, he brought his new character with him. And Roger Stern has a great run on Amazing Spider-Man. If you've never read any of Roger Stern's Amazing Spider-Man, I suggest the two issues where Spider-Man fights the Juggernaut. They are amazeballs. Alrighty, let's move on. Issue 228 from February of 1983. This one is by Roger Stern and the aforementioned Al Milgram. And it is called Trial and Error. Newsflash. Hank Pym is on trial. I know it's hard to believe and seems to have come out of nowhere, but pick your jaws up off the floor and try to follow along. First, let's get some reactions from the Avengers members who are always wandering around the mansion. Like, She-Hulk, what does she think? Well, despite being an attorney herself, she believes that the court is filled with leeches or something, and she's so angry that she punches a TV. Down in the gym, she catches Captain America training Captain Marvel, who reminds the star-spangled superhero that he has somewhere else to be. Then Marvel zooms off to her home in New Orleans, leaving She-Hulk gawking out the window as Thor and Wasp arrive. They've come from the courthouse and Jan is all torn up about it. Boo-hoo. That makes She-Hulk so angry that she destroys a banister, and I'm starting to think maybe she should move out of the mansion before she accidentally takes down a wall. Meanwhile, at Stark International, Cap shows up to see what Iron Man has been up to, 
Tony feels like a lout for making the moves on Wasp and wants to make up for it by figuring out what the hell is wrong with Hank once and for all. To that end, he's developed a cerebral scanner, which will determine if Yellow Jacket acted alone or under the influence of someone else. Elsewhere, the general public apparently thinks all heroes are idiots. The ACLU thinks this is the biggest treason case since the Rosenbergs. And Vision and Scarlet Witch are living in the Jersey suburbs waiting for someone, anyone, to call them. Speaking of suburbs, let's see what's happening at the Masters of Evil Cottage on Long Island Sound. Hey, Dr. Chen Lu, noted communist, has just joined the team, and Shocker and Tiger Shark are crashing through the ceiling in an apparent tryout to be reserved members of the Avengers. Because they're crashing uh-huh. through. Nice. The Beetle and Moonstone have to step in to break up the two tough guys. Then Tiger Shark starts hurling racial slurs at Dr. Chen Lu, but backs down when the burly doctor transforms into Radioactive Man. It seems like this team is firing on all cylinders. Over at the courthouse, the rest of the Avengers arrive just in time to see Hank Pym get sworn in and then have the entire wall cave in behind him. What is this, Avengers Mansion? The Masters of Evil are here for a daring rescue of the imprisoned Pym and nothing will stop them. Despite a pretty fun fight, the villains manage to make off with our mentally unfit friend, leaving only Shocker behind to take the fall. It turns out that he's been brainwashed to believe that Pym orchestrated this whole scheme himself, and the frame continues. We end on a very Empire Strikes Back note, as the team licks its wounds while She-Hulk has been depowered by Radioactive Man's energy, and Hank Pym has agreed to join the Masters of Evil. To be continued. Our roll call for this issue, um, our lineup includes Captain America, She-Hulk, Thor, Wasp, Hawkeye, Iron Man, and sort of Captain Marvel. We see Vision and Scarlet Witch, Hank Pym goes on trial, and our villains are Egghead and the Masters of Evil, now consisting of Radioactive Man, Moonstone, Tiger Shark, Shocker, and Beetle. Mm. This is our first look at the Shocker, who is primarily a Spider-Man foe. He first appeared in Amazing Spider-Man number 46 in March 1967 and was created by Stan Lee and John Romita, as you are back that early in the Amazing Spider-Man lineup. Uh, Herman Schultz is a brilliant high school dropout, and that sentence pretty much sums up his criminal career. Despite his failures, Shocker is a gifted inventor and engineer who created a pair of gauntlets that shoot high-frequency vibrating air blasts. At this point in his career, that's all that his gauntlets are supposed to do, so any artist who depicts them using electricity is a liar. He has pulled a couple of heists, done some light extortion, and harassed some people out of their money, but nothing spectacular before joining the Masters of Evil. Of course, Radioactive Man is one of the original Masters members. The last time we saw him was back with Mantis and Swordsman and all that, when he was part of the Titanic 3 along with uh, Titanium Man and Crimson Dynamo when they were running Vietnam, I think. (laughs) Yep, yep, yep. And Beetle hasn't been seen here since way back in Avengers number 28 with the first visit of our favorite villain, that rancid sack of baby food known as the Collector. Beetle has since upgraded his armor to look less like an Ed Wood sci-fi reject (laughs) and more like a real threat. Since 1966, he's battled mostly Daredevil and Spider-Man and pretended to be one of the Defenders in the classic 1978 Defenders for a Day plotline. I am surprised by how much this book has made me like a character named Egghead. Jim Shooter was beginning to work on him to make him a, uh, a more interesting villain, but Roger Stern does him, I, I think, makes him really interesting this issue. And it's not just that Egghead has, in my opinion, a brilliant plan. And it's not just that Egghead puts together a really good, I think, group of masters of evil. But the way he, the way he greets the radioactive man, uh, Dr. Chen Lu, when he first comes to their to his house, it's just it's I really like it because he's so excited to have another scientist there. You you get the feeling that Egghead really respects this man and really has. Oftentimes, the leader of the Masters of Evil is some sort of super powerful baddie who controls the team through fear and intimidation. Some megalomaniac. <laughs> and Egghead kind of comes across as almost a father figure to at least some of these people. He's obviously not incredibly intimidating. He's an overweight man with a head issue. 
He reminds me of uh, the chief from uh, Doom Patrol. Yes, yeah. But but you you almost get the feeling that the reason these people follow him is because he they know he's smart and he treats them well. Sure. Which I think is a nice approach to yeah, the he, Masters of Evil. He gets up and like runs across the room to shake. Uh, yeah, he's like grabbing his hand. He's like, oh, it's so nice to meet you and your work on this and on that. I just and the way that um, look at that artwork, Al Milgram with Egghead pushing his glasses. Yeah, up on the his way nose. Al, the way Al Milgram. Yeah, exactly. I love the way he draws him. He makes him seem very friendly and his hand gestures and stuff it's it's interesting i like it i like it quite a bit you do mention that tiger shark calls radioactive man a gook ouch mm-hmm. that's really bad and hard to read yeah. hard to say maybe back in 1963 but 1983 i mean i get that we're supposed to know that tiger shark is a horrible person but i just feel like there's a better way to do it have i ever told you that the Beatles is one of my favorite villains you have. And I like the Beatle too. Yeah. Iron Man is stressing the heck out this issue and doesn't show up for the trial. And this is going to be a running subplot now for the next few issues of where Iron Man is. Didn't he say he's been up for like 40 hours? Yeah, when we see him earlier in this issue, he's yeah, he's he's obviously beginning, he's obviously wound really tight. You know what would uh, keep him going? What? A nice stiff drink. <laughs> yeah, we're we're heading to a problem with Iron Man that we're going to we're going to be see we're going to see coming up again and again. If he would just fill his suit of armor with alcohol, he'd be fine. He'd just swim in it while he's working. I don't actually have any more specific comments about this issue. You know what I really like about this Masters of Evil? What's that? That top panel there on that page. Look at all the colors in their costume. They are a very pretty bunch. It's a nice group. Though there's a lot of green. I mean, the Radioactive Man is all green. <laughs> So it's a lot of green right there. A lot of green and yellow. I found it interesting that they put him, uh, that they had him use his powers to take She-Hulk's ability away from her. Well, it makes some sense. I mean... It does, and it's kind of cool because it gives her that uh, self-doubt. And, like, she's not sure if she can turn back into She-Hulk. Which we have not seen yet from her in this comic. Yeah. If if she has been anything in this comic, it's incredibly confident. Uh, We can move on to the bull... I will talk about this issue as a whole, but for now, if you want to move on to the bullpen bulletins, unless you have something specific. Uh, Is there anything in the bullpen bulletins that you... Want to talk about? Uh, Jim Shooter talks about a rumor floating about that Marvel is going to make a bunch of drastic changes to their titles and kill off some heroes. Uh, he says it's completely false and that they would never do that because there are enough dull comics out there. Emphasis on the capital D and C in dull comics. I kind of found it interesting that the editor-in-chief of Marvel would address rumors in a public forum like this. Just interesting how things have changed since 1983. Yeah. I think we kind of take it for granted what we have now with the internet and spoilers and everything else that if you were reading Marvel comics and he hadn't put that in there, you would have no idea what he was talking I mean you probably still don't know what he's talking about but if he had never mentioned it you would be like oh hey Marvel Comics this month like always it's also a, it's also an indication of how much more serious death was at this point in time in comics because most people that died did not come back yeah if you were killed in the comic, you were gone. It won't be another probably 10 years, 10 to 20 years before it, before death becomes a revolving door. Yeah, and even then there's still there were certain characters that they held on to as like, you never bring Uncle Ben back or, and you never bring Bucky back. Yeah. And they broke both of those rules. Brought Uncle Ben back? They did. Not permanently. Was it for his rice? I they also they push subscriptions on the bullpen Bolton's page. Or they, I'm sorry, they, he talks. He has news from the subscription department about subscription stuff. We don't care about the news, but it's interesting to me that they are still trying to get subscriptions at this point in time because I don't again even know if they have subscriptions anymore. And I it's I mean so. it's never been a big part of their business model. Did you have subscriptions when you were a kid? Uh, I did not to the Avengers. I don't remember if I had to the Avengers or not. I had quite a few. They used to come in those brown mm-hmm. paper like slip. 
bags. I only ever got one comic by subscription. Uh, by that, by the time I got into more comics, I was able to. I was going to comic book shop on a regular basis. Yeah, I probably should have stuck with the subscriptions because I would spend way more money at the comic book shop. Well, than sure, I would. when it's in front of you. Yeah, I wonder if this was like this was a weird time for comics because I think they were still direct market stores were opening just beginning, and they were kind of trying to balance the will people go shop at the store for us or do we get subscriptions or they were just introducing those direct those first direct market only series i know my cousin had subscriptions up until a few years ago i guess so they kept them going for a while but oh they might still have them i just don't know i think they do and they do mention the the last issue uh, issue number four the vision and scarlet witch limited series that we talked about last episode they put it in the hype box anything on the letters page no i lately this letter column just seems to have turned into a hey i really liked that page yeah it's gotten really boring there's not really a lot of questioning or insight and i don't i don't like it, it needs more conflict <laughs> they welcome al milgram to the book as penciler but other than that yeah I'm, i don't think the letters are that interesting anymore at what point do we lose them it's not coming up soon but i know we do lose the letters pages for years not for quite a while no i mean i don't think really not to the odds like no? they keep the let well they keep them going throughout the first volume they don't i don't think they have any in the second volume and then they bring them back in the third MVP. No one does particularly well. My Empire Strikes Back reference. All the good guys kind of lose, but Hawkeye does stop Shocker, and they, you know, get to talk to Shocker. So that's something. I, I picked the Wasp again because I think she is doing a job. As I mean, she's really leadery in the last fight. She's you know flying around doing leader stuff. But what about your useless character? I picked Wasp. Because she gets swatted away pretty quickly on, and she's whiny throughout the entire issue. I don't think she's whiny. When she first shows up to Mansion with Thor, she's all boo-hoo about Hank being on trial. and Oh, oh she's not allowed to have emotions? You wouldn't oh. say that if she was a man. I cannot believe how sexist that is. No, I'm saying it because she's Wasp. Iron Man is the useless character. He's falling apart. Doesn't even come to the trial. What's up with that? Best quote taken out of context? I'm coming at you full speed. I went with, I'll use you, egghead. I'm coming at you full speed. <laughs> Our, our quotes can kind of go together. We can form a whole Avengers line. level threat. Uh, it's close. The Masters of Evil seem to have enough strength now, and clearly they won this fight. Obviously, Iron Man's not here. Yeah, I like this at Masters of Evil. I think they are an Avengers level threat. You've got you've got brains. You've got Egghead behind them, and he seems to be able to plan well, and he's smart. And then of the uh, you've got five people on the front line, and except for the Shocker. <laughs> They're all, I mean, you know, Tiger Shark is good muscle. Moonstone and Radioactive Man are both very powerful and very smart. And then you've got the Beetle, who's good. He's a good flunky. He can fly. He brings, you know, he brings something to the team. He does. You know, the Beetle is, it, it may be hard to tell this from his record, but the Beetle's a competent villain. He does well. You know, he's not... He's not a, he's he he would never pull a whirlwind and go flying off on his own. No, he's not he's the a Beetle, team guy. Yeah, he's not stupid. He can follow orders. So I actually think it's a really good team and I I think that, you know. You know what you know what they need though? Maybe like 12, 15 more people. No, that's silly. You can't have more people than the heroes you're fighting. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. What is your final grade? I gave it a B. I said Egghead is a pretty good evil mastermind. There's some fun action and they're still making Hank look bad. I gave it an A. No. I think this is just this is this is the kind of issue that I, I feel we're going to see a lot of from Roger Stern because I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Here's what I really like about this issue. I feel, and I don't know that you agree with me because you seem to think that the Avengers don't do very well this issue. No, I but I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think the Avengers lose because the Avengers are incompetent or doing a bad job. No, no, no. I think the Avengers lose because the bad guys have a better plan or are better organized. Yeah, I just don't think the Avengers were prepared for it. Yeah, exactly. They weren't expecting it. And that's, that's something I like too often in comics and in life, but especially in comics, it's way too easy for comic book writers to, and the, it's happened in this title a gazillion times, to pump up their villains by making the Avengers look like a bunch of schmucks and morons. And they don't do that 
about this issue, and I love that. Yeah, and I think Roger Stern's pretty good about that. It, instead of instead of having threats with the Avengers, where the threats are just threats because he says they are, and he has to make the Avengers look like a bunch of of Gumbies to not verify to you know justify to, to justify that threat. <laughs> in this case, you know the Avengers are doing the best they can, but as you say, they're you know they're at a disadvantage. They the the Masters of Evil come in with a plan. The Avengers obviously aren't prepared for this. They're in the middle of a of a court case. There's innocence around that need protected. They're not at full strength. Yeah. Radioactive Man takes out She-Hulk. The characterizations are right on for all these characters. It's just... And he's doing characterizations in the middle of a fight, which is always fun. It's... it's I, I think it's it's good stuff. It's vintage Roger Stern. I think I I think I might have given it a higher grade if it was a little further into Roger Stern's run. I think I was just being a little tentative. I liked it. I liked it a lot. I just... Might actually be the best thing that we've read since, like, first Taskmaster. Yeah, it's... I would say that's probably true. And I've liked... You know, I've, I've been pretty decent, I think, on most grades I've given issues for a while now but i would agree with that i think this is the best issue since the task the first taskmaster issue back at like 196 195 196 all right then on our next episode egghead and his masters of evil are back and slightly better than ever hawkeye straight up murders someone yellow jacket pulls off one more heroic feat before leaving the hero business forever and did i mention that iron man has disappeared did we mention that maybe maybe a little bit i think that's gonna come up then later that's it if you want to get in touch with us, our email is mail at avenginghour.com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at avenginghour. What are you doing? I'm having, it's, it's late at night. We're recording this. It's, I don't know, one in the morning. At least. And my eyes are giving me trouble. Uh, we have a Facebook page and our website is avenginghour.com. Stop winking at me. I get it. I'm wrapping it up. What is with the hand signals? Anything to add? What? No. Okay. Good night, everybody. See you next week. <laughs>